Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. want to be sensitive to what would God have us to know in this particular time of our journey in Christ. We've just come through a major series on the Passover and more than 25 or 26 sessions on the principle of Passover we've simply concluded. I want to encourage you to listen. The meditative process is critical um, to your obedience. Right? We talked extensively on the importance of meditation. And, uh, for example, I've been listening in the car to a series of Sam, Dr. Sam Solon, on the kingdom and the church. And I think now it's my, probably my sixth time I'm listening to the same series. I've listened to it in the past two weeks, literally uh, just soaking. And sometimes only after I've listened to it the fifth time, I'm thinking, did I hear that? On the third and fourth time. You know, it's only, it's only sometimes, that's why faith comes by hearing. And hearing. The second hearing produces faith. It's the second time. It's the rumination. That's my form of meditation. My, one of the forms of meditation is to hear a thing over and over and over and over again. Amen. So the CDs that are available at the resource desk, I would encourage you. We do that. That for me, if you ask me, let's say a thief breaks into this building and says, what can we steal? You know what? I will run to God. I will run to God that table. That for me is the treasure. That is the grace conduit. The word of God for me is the most precious asset. The speaking of the Lord that we have in this place. Amen. And so I want to encourage you to, uh, um, to get, uh, if, you're, if you're a regular member of this household, you should have a copy of all of the series. You should be playing them over and over again. Just let it infiltrate your system um, in a very, very profound way. Amen. I've realized the importance of that. This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein when? Not sometimes. You know, we give such scant attention to the word, and yet we want results that the word speaks to. But if you're going to treat your word focus shabbily, don't expect major results. The intensity with which you soak your mind into the word of the Lord will determine the kind of output you're going to generate in your, in your life. Amen? And so give due diligence to the word, its import, and the regard that you have for the word. Honor God by honoring his word. Amen? And you know, for me, subtly, it seems as though the global church has, has, is giving little estimation to God's word. And you can test yourself in your own life. For example, the past week, what was the degree to which you soaked your heart and your mind in the word of the Lord? Has other priorities clouded your program to such a degree that God's word takes the least of your priorities? Two weeks ago, I shared on my sons being not now negligent. I hope we don't have to repeat messages for 10 times before it's done. Right? We, the Lord spoke to us. We're through Second Chronicles. My sons be not now negligent. For I've chosen you to stand before me, to minister to, unto me, and to be my ministers. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and 
and listen to His words. These things are more easier said than done. And I want to encourage us. We must move past beyond eloquence, verbiage. Some of us can speak great things, but in life, in practice, we're not living out the principles. I want to encourage you. It's time now to start manifesting the principles in ordinary life. Amen. But never lose your word centricity. Never lose the centrality of the word of God in your life. Right? Never lose the honor that you give to God's word. Ask your neighbor, are you, are you listening to God's word daily? Apart from reading this and studying the scriptures for yourself daily, you should be listening to the word that's released through your spiritual father on a regular basis. Right? It's, I don't have time to demonstrate the principle from the book of Timothy. Paul was very clear to Timothy, the things you heard from me before many witnesses. Right? Uh, continue in them, knowing from whom you have learned them. Right? And that process, that's why I say, for me, your greatest asset today is an MP3 player. Get some CDs. Play the word over and over in your mind. So we are neglecting the very means designed for our success. If you ask me, what's the, what's the, what is the thing you need to give due attention to to generate success in this life? It is the word of God. But if you, if you examine most of our lives, the thing that is designed to give us success we give the least attention to and expect success. Right? It doesn't work. So I want, to, I want to challenge the church. I want to uh, urge you, I beseech you, brethren, in Paul's language, by the mercies of God, if I go on my knees, I would beg you, do not neglect God's word. You can do 110 things in the week, but never lose your place with hearing God's word, studying it. I want to say this again. Please hear it in your spirit. Do not neglect the very means that God has put into your life designed for your success. You want to generate the results? Then don't neglect the very means. And, you know, we lo- we're subtly, I'm sensing something here in the context. We're subtly losing our, our, our primacy for the Word of God. The very first series we did in the GSM, the primacy of God's Word in the life of the believer. How do we value? I want to start now a series which I believe... It's some aspects of it we've done in the past, but I want to look at it afresh, with fresh spectacles and with fresh lenses. Concerns the grace of God. As we do the series, I want you to posture your heart with great expectation. Trust God that in your life there's going to be an increase of His grace. Amen? Right? Are you ready for grace increase? Right? You see, the thing that's going to cause you to be successful in this life is the grace of God. The grace of God is going to give you the edge. If you want an advantage spiritually, secularly in this life, I would say it's nothing more, nothing less than the grace of God. To have an advantage in sport, for example, means to have an edge over your competitors because you are resourced with particular things. I recall growing up, um, I represented my school at the Natal Champs Athletics, 100 meters, 200 meters and in, the, in the, and in the relay. And because we did not have personal coaches like other, the more um, advantaged schools in that apartheid era, and we would come to sports meetings. I would come with my TSAV shorts on, <laughs> rugby shorts, and my uh, a vest, and I would see my competitors, guys with spikes and starting blocks 
don't even know what a starting block was. I come to sports meeting, wow, what is this? What are these guys are doing? You know, it wasn't in my world at that stage. They had an edge. I would come to a sports meeting and I'd see their personal coaches warm them up. I would come there without anybody to tell me what to, not even to warm up. So certain things in life give you an edge over others. Now, who would like an edge in life generally? You want that advantage. When you go through stuff, you want to have something in your arsenal that's going to give you an advantage over the rest. For me, it's nothing more, it's nothing less than the, the grace of God. Amen. Tell your neighbor, grace will give you an advantage. So, terms like this, grace sufficiency or grace deficiency, are going to become buzzwords. Are we grace sufficient or are we grace deficient? I want to encourage the church. I want to focus on this so much that if anybody walks into this building, they must walk into a culture of grace. The, the fabric, the content of the atmosphere must be grace-thick, must be grace-laden, must be grace-heavy. There must be a texture to our atmosphere as we walk in. Your marriage must be filled with grace. I walk into your home, what must, must, what must be the first impression? It must be a grace-filled environment. You, yourself, must be a person of grace. We corporately must be a people typified by the, by the grace of God. Acts 6, 8 in the New American Standard Bible says this about, um, who was the first martyr? Stephen. Stephen, and Stephen full of grace. What is your descriptor? What, what phrase aptly describes you as a person? You know, this is my goal now. This is my aim. I want my descriptor to be, and Randolph was a man full of the grace of God. You must have this legacy. If you want something to put on your tombstone when you die, here lies Joash, a man full of grace. Right? You've got to be not full of nonsense. You've got to be full of grace. Right? Not full of nonsense. Full of grace. Tell your neighbor, no more nonsense, only grace. <laughs> now, Colossians 1.6 says the following. I'm going to use the um, PowerPoint slide just to, to go a bit faster. It says this, that Paul says we understood the grace of God in, in truth. What we're going to attempt to do in this series is expand your knowledge of God's grace. Not so much abstractly or theoretically to the place where you comprehend it theologically. My concern now is that grace must visibilize and manifest itself in human flesh. You've got to be the embodiment of grace. Um, uh, John 1.14 says, and Jesus was full of grace and truth and of his fullness we receive what grace upon grace or grace for grace i will later in the series in fact next week by next week we'll start to delineate certain characteristic features that should manifest itself in the person that claims to be graceful amen and so i want to encourage us all um, you see we, we we so often and readily say we are an apostolic people we are full of grace. And we use terms like grace carriers. And, 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 and we're the recipients of grace. But if you measure up the quality of our lives, 
the character of our lives, the nature of our lives, the content of our conversations, the, 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 the spirit by which we speak, very easily then you will conclude these people are under great deception because there's a chasm, there's a divide between what they proclaim and what is actually happening on the ground. What's actually happening in their marriages? What's actually happening on the workplace? If I listen to the content of their conversation over a lunchtime meal, there's, there's actually clear evidence of grace deficiency in this. Paul said, let your speech be with grace. Right? So this even will affect how you, how you speak, how you deal with people. Grace now must become tangible. Grace now must become visible. Just prophesy to someone, you are a person of grace. You are a person of grace. Hallelujah. Think, brethren. Think. When you wake up, you go to work, you want to, to run this race ideally attired with your starting blocks, with your spikes on, having the edge, having been personally trained over all your competitors. Uh, again, I want to I stress this point. The thing that's going to give you the edge, it's called the grace of God. You know when, when, when who was it? Barnabas went down to Antioch. I'll talk about these scriptures later. The Bible says, and when he came down to Antioch, through a revival that had started there, and many were saved, he, the Bible says this, and he saw the grace of God. Tell your neighbor, grace can be seen. So grace, he saw the grace of God visibilized in the expression of the life of the community of the saints there in Antioch. He saw the grace of God. I want to encourage you now. Next time you look at the mirror, what do you see? Do you see evidence of God's grace? When people interact with you in the workplace or wherever, there must be this clear testimony. Vanola or Clint have been people of grace in this place. Grace has visited us, vested in a human body, and has visibilized itself and manifested itself here. We beheld, we saw His glory full of grace. Tell your neighbor, grace must be seen. So Colossians, Paul said this, we understood, I want to, my attempt in the series is to make us clearly understand God's grace. But how are we going to understand it? We're going to understand it in, in truth. Everyone say in truth. Now what is truth? Jesus prayed in John 17, Oh God, your word is truth. Okay? Your word is truth. Whatever your concept of grace is right now, I challenge you by the Holy Ghost. I'm trusting God as I further study this concept in the coming weeks and days. I'm saying, God, enlarge my understanding. Help me to see the very essence of what your grace is. Help me to, 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 to have more clear evidence in my life personally, in my marriage, in the life of the, of the kids, in the life of the church community. Help there to be more clear evidence of your grace at work in our lives. Let this be your prayer also. Amen? Let this be your prayer. So tell your neighbor, understand. Understand the grace of God in truth. For example, if I ask you, what is grace? The average Christian will respond like this. Grace is God's unmerited favor. That, for me, is an extremely weak definition of grace. It is not absolutely incorrect. It's simply 
a very small part of a huge whole that you are describing. And you're only describing it from one vantage point. There's much more to the grace of God than simply unmerited favor. Okay? And so we're going to enlarge your concept of the grace of God. Okay? Now, what is fire? Ask your neighbor what is fire. Now, please attempt to define it. Just ask them what's your understanding of fire. And just maybe in a brief, succinct way, what is fire? What is fire? Jesse, what is fire? Fire to you. <laughs> Heat? What else? Anybody? It burns. Woo, hallelujah. It burns. What is fire? Heat? It destroys. What is fire? Come on, a few more. Energy, right? For, 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 for someone of a different perspective of the same thing, we'll view it as energy, right? What else? What is fire? Come on. So many more. Heat? We had heat. Purifies a refining element. What is heat? What is fire? Light to someone in darkness. Okay, let's go on. So, to a cook, it's heat. To a person in sub-zero temperatures, it is a source of warmth. To a fireman, he will describe it in destructive terms. It destroys. You talk, I mean, you talk to a fireman, what is fire? His world is, I must put this thing out. That's all I know. Right? That's all my thing. A cook, it's a source of heat. Someone in Alaska, again, a source of heat. Right? Warmth. A person in darkness would describe it as a source of light. The gold and silversmith would see it as a source of refinement or purification, refining elements, metals. Right? Scientists see it as a source of energy, solar energy that could be harnessed for a variety of, of uses. My point being, you define the thing based upon, from your perspective, how useful the thing is for you in a particular context. But in, in defining it in these terms, you haven't defined the thing. You've only defined its effect upon you in your environment. Right? Similar to when we define grace, most people will define it in terms of the benefit it brings to them in a particular context. But you never really have defined the thing yet. All you've done is you've defined the effect of the thing or the benefit it accrues to you based upon your need. So if you're cold, it brings heat. So to the sinner that needs to be saved, grace to him is unmerited favor. But he's only defining... You know, it's like looking... If all these doors were closed and you look into the room through the keyhole, all you'll be getting is a peephole or keyhole view of the entire room. But you will only define the part that you can see. According to the, 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 the ambit that your perspective allows you to see, you will define the room based upon what you can see. But what you see doesn't define the contents of the room. You've only defined the part you have a view of. So too with grace, it is far bigger than sometimes the perspectives we adopt. So if we are in a sinner need for salvation, we see grace or we can think of unmerited favor. Right? To the person that is suffering, I'll talk a great deal about suffering in this time of grace. To the person that is suffering, Please, you must study both epistles of 1 
and Second Peter. He has much to say about grace, but his context is suffering. So the person that is suffering, grace is the element that sustains and empowers. For when I'm weak, then I am, then I am strong. To the apostle that feels disqualified and ineligible for his task, the apostle Paul, grace is the element that qualified him for ministry. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, he says, but I am what I am by the grace of God. For someone feeling ineligible and disempowered for function, grace to that person will be the element that enables and fuels and energizes my work in God. So grace is different things to different, to different people. Let's go on. Now, fire quintessentially, this is just for those of you that need the answer. <laughs> this is a more uh, apt description, a process by which substances combine chemically with oxygen from the air and typically give out a bright light, heat, smoke, combustion, or burning. And you've got full marks. <laughs> you've described the thing. You haven't described essentially its, its effect. What we want to do then, we want to get to the very core of what grace is before we seek to extrapolate the benefits that it will accrue to, to all of us. Okay, The benefits that we derive from this wonderful thing called the grace of God. Now, everyone say mana. What mana means? What is it? <laughs> mana fell in the wilderness, not so? In the wilderness journeys of Israel, from Egypt to the promised land, they journeyed for 40 years. God every day would rain down a flake-like substance, tasted like coriander seed, a flake-like substance. When it fell for the first time, there was not a single word that they could find in their vocabulary to describe what it is. So they, they coined the Hebrew phrase, manna. Now, manna literally interpreted means, what is it? Now, if, if I say, if I describe this, you say, oh, this is called, what is it? <laughs> you're not, you, you leave the question open-ended. The point is, they found it difficult to describe the manna that fell in the wilderness, and they responded um, to that uh, uh, predicament with a question. So, you and I know it in, the, in English as manna, but from the Hebrew mind, literally what they're saying is, what is it? Let's look at the text quickly. Exodus 16, 15. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Now, what is it is manna. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to, to eat. In verse 31 of the same chapter, the house of Israel named it what? But listen carefully. They named it what is it? Because manna means what is it? Right? They named it what is it? And it was like coriander seed, white. Its taste was like wafers with honey. Right? This is what's rained down every single day. And God literally instructed them, you only collect sufficient for the, for the day. Okay? If more was collected, it actually went um, putrid, went off with worms. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. That's not a plea for God to supply your provision for every day. I'll get to that text later on. Right? 
The Greek word for bread there is epiousios, which literally is a reference to grace or the nature of God vested in the word that he brings to you, from which you consume. For man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out from the, the mouth of God. Okay? So it was this, this manner. Now, manner also means who is it? If you check this out, the Hebrew term manner doesn't only mean what is it, it also means who is it? What's the point? Who is full of grace and truth? Come on, talk to me. John 1, you know your scriptures. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Manna is essentially a reference, as is grace, to the very person of Christ. Let me explain. You see, in the 40 years when they journeyed in the wilderness, this flake-like substance, this like coriander seed that tasted flaky with, with, like, with dosed with honey, fell every single day. In John chapter 6, please listen to me. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, they said to Jesus, Our fathers gave us manna in the wilderness. Jesus responded to those uh, Pharisees. He says, It wasn't Moses that gave you manna. It was my, my father that rained down manna. But he said this, But I am the bread of heaven that has come down from heaven to you. What he was saying is the manna was simply a shadow pointing to me that would come down from heaven as the bread of life. What was actual manna now became a person, the person of Christ. So manna is not simply what is it, manna is who is it. Now listen carefully. There's a close correlation between grace and manna. You never ever think of grace as an inanimate force or thing that God gives to you. Because grace in its essence relates to the quintessential nature of the person and the character of God as a person himself. So if you ask grace, you no need to say what is it. Whenever you reference grace, you must say who is it. For grace is the embodiment of of the fullness of the person of Christ. And I will explain this more as we go along. Right? So it's like the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a, is a person. Not so. The Holy Spirit is a person. So grace, when you say, Lord, fill me with your grace, you are saying, fill me with the substance that comprises you essentially as God. What is your composition? What makes up you as God? It's called grace. Fill me with that substance. Fill me with you, your personage itself. Amen? And so I want to encourage you to receive the grace of God. Amen. Now, do you know that the grace, the manna ceased rather, when they crossed the Jordan and they entered conquest into the promised land? Manna ceased at the time when they crossed the Jordan and they would enter to possess their promised land okay so joshua 12 or 512 says the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so that the sons of israel no longer had manna but they ate some of the yield of the land of canaan 
during that year. The way I read this is like this. They journeyed for 40 years in the, in the wilderness. There's a text in, actually in Isaiah, which I'll talk about in the, in the series, which says, and God gave them grace in the wilderness. Right? Grace in the wilderness. God gave them grace in the wilderness. Manna was given for 40 years in their wilderness journeys. So they would start the journey, and when they would cross the Jordan and start to take possession of the land, and now they started to eat, watch it, what it says, they started to eat some of the healed of the land of Canaan during that year. So for me, it's not like grace will, will ever cease. But what I glean from this is that grace is the food of heaven, if you would. It's the resource of everything locked up in God that is given to His sons in their quest and in their journey towards the fulfillment of an aspect of my promise that I've given to them. As you journey in that process, what gives you attainment of the outcome is grace. You see, you take the manna away from their journey in the wilderness, they have no hope for survival. Right? So grace is that component in God designed to empower and fuel my journeys in the wilderness. But its intent is to eventually bring me to a settled place of fulfillment. You can't always be journeying. You must arrive at some point in your life. You can't say I'm always in process. You know, please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. At some point you've got to finish. You've got to finish certain aspects. I'm saying, be, listen brethren, leave here with a tenacity. Say to yourself, I'm tired of being in process in that matter forever. Uh, you met me five years ago, I was still in process. Five years later, I'm still talking about the same process. When are we going to arrive? When are we going to resolve matters and say, as far as that issue is concerned, I have left the Jordan, grace has empowered me, I'm now eating of the fruit of the land. That God has led me into. This could relate to anything. So tell your neighbor, you can't be in process too long. You must arrive. Amen. I decree and declare over you, church, finalization of things, wrapping up of things, resolution of things, resolve certain matters. Right? Resolve certain matters in God. Right? Bring finalization to a process. But you can't manifest anything if you haven't put the work in. Right? You can't manifest anything. And let me just say this. In your process, I want to say this to all of us. Some of you have been through some wilderness experiences. Right? Where things were dry and arid. But God gave you a cloud by day and a pillar by night. God kept you. The heat did not destroy you. Tell your neighbor we are still here today. Hey, we are still here today. I can testify to so. I can say that we are still here today. God's been good. And you know, it's been nothing more than the grace of God that has been with us. But now, listen carefully. Now I declare to you, cross your Jordan. Uh, throughout the series, you will see it manifest in various ways over and over again. How that grace's intent is to bring you to a place of maturity or perfection or completion either in terms of identity, who you are, as the, in terms of nature as God's son, or in reference to something God has called you to do. It's always two things. Paul said, I am what I am by grace, and I 
work. So it's either my nature or my, my destiny, what I need to do. It's all going to be by grace. You see, the opposite of grace is human works. It's effort. It's, persper, it's perspiration. Right? I'll talk more about that. But what you need is grace. Grace will get the thing done quicker. Yeah? Come on, talk to me. <laughs> you either do it by grace or you do it by your own sweat. Right? You either get a sweat result or you get a grace result. Either way. You know, unless the Lord builds a house, Psalm 127, they labor in vain that. The point is, they still build it. But it wasn't the Lord's building. You could generate anything in the flesh and you could still build stuff. But if it's not a reflection of the grace of God, it's not something that God has built. I'm really praying in my heart sincerely throughout the series. I'm praying, God, let your grace be profusely manifested in my life in a significant way. Okay, now, grace has many forms. Here's the text. 1 Peter 4, the latter part of verse 10, says that we must be good stewards of what? Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The term manifold, let's go down one, in the NIV, is, it says it like this, God's grace in its various forms. The English Standard Bible speaks about God's varied grace. And the Amplified, I like this, says God's many-sided grace. So you can't define grace on the side that you see, like to someone that needs, that's in cold environment, needs to be warmed, will define fire as a source of warmth or heat. You only define it on the side that you're seeing that benefits you. Grace is many-sided. Now, we've said this before, but I want it to sink in. And I want your prayer to be this. Lord, I want to taste of the many sides of your grace. I just only want to be the beneficiary of a certain domain or side or expression of your grace. But now, I'm going to make this a matter of prayer. I'm saying, God, I want to start to now tap into the fullness of all that your grace represents to us. So, is grace variegated? Is grace multifaceted? Has grace got many sides? Yes, many, many, many different sides to grace. And later I'll talk about receiving grace in vain or not utilizing the full potential of the grace allotted to you. But we must tap into the fullness of the grace of God. Amen? Paul would start every epistle, grace, to you. He would end every epistle, grace, be with you. He was very deliberate. He was obsessed by the concept and the theme of grace. You read all his epistles. It features throughout. It seemed that he understood the power of the grace of God, its import, its expression. And I want us to have the same. We must understand the many sides of the grace of God. Okay. Ephesians 2.7 says that, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What I want to allude to in this passage is the phrase, the surpassing riches of his grace. Grace is rich. You can be enriched by the grace of God. But when Paul, in this context, starts to write about God's grace, he says there's a rich 
ness and a wealth to the grace of God that is surpassing. In other words, you'll never be able to tap into the fullness thereof. It is simply way beyond human capacity, right? From a, from a natural perspective, to comprehend all that the grace of God encompasses. The ESV puts the same verse like this, so that in the coming ages he might show the what? The immeasurable riches of his grace. And notice, I think personally, the fullness of this dynamic will only be made known in the ages to come. It says so. In the coming ages, he might show, or the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace in kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Amen? But don't wait for that age to come. You're living in this age now. Start to tap into this dynamic and express the grace of God in and through. Tell your neighbor, grace is rich. Come on. Say rich grace. I want to encourage you. Have this, fill your mind with these concepts. Say, God, when I pray your grace, even take the verse out if you're praying. Say, God, I've read in your word. There's something called the surpassing riches of your grace. You might not fully understand it. All I know it's vast. It's variegated. It's multifaceted. I want that fullness resident within my life. Have a passion. Come on, I'm trying to, I'm trying to instill a hunger within your heart for more of the grace of God. Hey? A hunger in your heart for grace. Now, let's look at the Hebrew terms and the Greek terms. The Hebrew word for, for grace is chen. Right? And it means the following. Favor or acceptance. Some special standing or privilege with God or people. Right? Now, this word tells us in some way, some of the effects on grace. Everyone say favor. favor. I will do a whole session that links the favor you enjoy with God and the favor you enjoy with people as a clear evidence of the grace of God at work in your life. Right? Um, very often, the word, some English Bible translates grace, and they use the English term favor. Right? Favor will give you the edge. Favor will take you where your qualifications and your training does not take you. We need somebody to show you favor. Right? So the concept of grace includes the bestowal, listen carefully, of favor upon somebody where you enjoy some special standing or some privilege even before God and or with, with people. Not so, with God and or with people. Potiphar Ashley said that he looked at Joseph and he saw the favor of God upon his life. And he knew that God had blessed his domain because of the employment of Joseph in his world. Similarly with, who was it, Uncle Laban and Jacob. Uncle Laban, his uncle, said to Jacob, he says, I have dis he actually said, I have discerned that I am blessed because you are here. Right? Do you know when you are grace? When you are grace sufficient, not grace deficient. Tell you never be grace sufficient. Right? When you are grace endowed, your workplace will be blessed simply because they've employed you. Right? So go to your boss tomorrow morning and say, boss. <laughs> I'm just joking. Say, this context is blessed because you've employed me. 
You might not realize it. The guy might not, might not be, even be saved. Tell him you might not know it. Can somebody take care of that outside, please? You might not know it. Right? Tell your boss you might not know it, but your industry is blessed simply because you've employed me. I'm a representation of the grace of God which brings favor wherever I go. So I think I deserve a raise. What do you think? <laughs> Hallelujah. Just high five someone and say you are highly favored. Highly favored. You know, I don't want to make this thing so theological because this, this topic can be very uh, wordy, very principle-centered. But it must be practice-centered. Okay? We'll, talk, we'll do both. Look at me, everyone. I declare to you, you are favored of the Lord. Walk out here. Start to, to, to believe what we teach. Say to yourself, I'm a, I got the grace of God resident within my person. This grace is variegated. It's multifaceted. It's rich. No one can fully comprehend it. Wherever I go, I enjoy favor. People like me and they don't even know why they like me. They like me and they will give me special standing, special privilege, simply because I am a representation of the grace of, of God. Amen? I want to encourage you. Now, when you engage certain dynamics for progress... I, I, I adjure you by the Holy Ghost. Don't walk in there sheepishly. Don't walk in there maybe if what? What's going to happen? Walk in there not arrogantly, but there's a raw confidence. I am a son of God. I'm a firstborn son of God. As Jesus was, was the firstborn son, full of grace and truth, I too am full of grace and truth. God might destroy the whole world like he did in Noah's day. But the Bible says, but Noah found grace, special standing, and privilege before God. And God deals with him differently as though he deals with the whole world. You can enjoy such privilege in God. God will deal with you differently when he's dealing judgmentally with the specific context. You will stand out in stark contrast to how God deals. I'm ready for favor. Are you ready for favor? Come on, tell someone, we are favored. Grace, we are favored. I'll teach you later how to grow in this dynamic. Because you really need an edge. I want to I encourage you. You need starting blocks. You need spikes on, on this journey. You need something where you are all qualified similarly, but they pick you. And they don't even know why. You see, we can't just discuss grace as something ethereal, abstract, with no practical application. Right? Grace will give you the edge. I'm trusting God that we're going to have special favor and standing wherever we go. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. You married couples here. Your marriage is graceful. It's a graceful marriage. Amen? And I want to encourage you. Your marriage will enjoy special standing with God. You know, I love that text in Genesis. God was intent on destroying the whole world, but, everyone say but. That's a big button. But Noah found what? What's the edge? Grace. In the eyes. What is, what's the color of God's eyes? Grace. Found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When God looks upon me, He looks at me as a grace recipient. Amen. Let's go on quickly. This is where I really want to get to. The Greek text, the Greek word, Rather, for grace is charis, 
or charis. Right? Everyone say charis. The Greek, Greek pronunciation is charis. C-H in any Greek word, you must know this, is always pronounced K. That's charis or charis in English. Watch. That which causes what? Everyone say joy. Joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, acceptance, kindness granted or desired, a benefit. It's even translated thanks and, and gratitude. Okay, let's just stop there, the top, part, the top part. The recipient of grace naturally responds with uncanny joy. Right? It's that which causes joy, pleasure, a sense of fulfillment, gratification, favor and acceptance. And you respond with thanksgiving and gratitude. What do we say before we eat? You even use the term, let's say what? Grace. Let's say grace. You are grateful, you have a plate of food in front of me, and we lift our voice and say, thank you, Father. So the word grace is often, in two instances in the New Testament, translated actually as gratitude, and we will look at those instances later. Right? So listen carefully. If you want to increase the gratitude level of a congregation, what must you then increase? Grace content. You know the reason why many people don't lift their hands and say thank you to the Lord in, in praise and worship? And the reason sometimes, in some contexts, you have to pump the people up? For me, it's a manifestation of a lack of grace in their lives. No recipient of grace will ever respond with coldness towards his father. The, or the reciprocal, automatic, reflexive response is thanksgiving, gratitude. Because you realize this can never be me. Has to be God that generated these results in me. So I will always respond with thanksgiving, gratitude, praise, and worship. Amen? The gratitude will, will grow. Now, James Strong says, I like this, it's the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Listen, you've got a heart and you've got a life. Your heart needs divine or God influence on this heart. And the, the evidence will be reflected in the, in the life. It will be evidence that you are a recipient of some influence in your life Upon your heart. Okay? Now, it's the absolutely free expression of the loving kindness of God to men. Finding its only motive, listen carefully, in the bounty and the benevolence of the giver. This, for me, is amazing. Everyone say benevolence. I want these words to be commonplace with us. Say bounty. Now, these relate to positions in God. Is God benevolent God? Is he bountiful in his gifts? Right? Notice what it says. Say motive. The motive of grace is rooted in the bountifulness and the benevolence of the one who gives it. So does God have much grace to give? I want to, I want to stir your hunger this morning. I want you to get to a place where you become greedy for grace. To use a crude term. You must become, say, Lord... I know I need an edge. I need an advantage in life. I know this thing called grace is that which is going to give me the edge. I need it more and more. I know from your position, the giver, from this vantage point, the giver of grace is benevolent. You are poised. You are bountiful. You are ready to dispense more and more of this grace to me. 
Okay? You have to have that image of God within your mind. That's why Hebrew says, come boldly to what? Come on, talk to me. Come boldly to what? To the throne of? Throne of grace. Come. Throne means government, rulership. Come to a, a God whose rule is governed by grace. It says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Listen carefully. It says, to find help or grace and obtain mercy in times of your need. In times of your need, what you're going to need to bestow upon your life is uncanny, huge doses of the grace of God. Have you heard this testimony of someone? How's the brew? How are you going? Based upon all that you're experiencing. You're going to a tough time. And the response is, but for the grace of God. In other words, left to myself without grace, this thing will finish me. But grace has been the sustaining factor. I've been the recipient of great grace. I lift my hands in gratitude to the one who has bountifully and benevolently bestowed such grace upon my life. I, I want to challenge us all. You're going to be known as persons of grace. Young people at school, at your college of study, wherever you are, at your workplace, those adults, in your marriage, your content, the content of your conversations must be full with the grace of God. Okay, we still haven't really defined it. Right? I, want to, I want to leave you here without defining it. So let's get to defining it. I want to leave you with this, okay? With this, with this issue. It's fine to look at the Greek and Hebrew, chen and karis, and have these images of, of, of acceptance, of privilege, special standing with God, a benevolent God giving me acceptance and empowerment, all fine. But what is it that this thing that's going to come to me, that's going to do all of these, these things for me? Tell your neighbor, what is it? Manna. Say manna. <laughs> but more correctly say, hey, who is it? <laughs> who is it? Not just what is it, who is it? Right? Now, when God said to Moses, or Moses said to God, show me you, who are you? Show me your face, etc. Remember God said to him, I will pass by before you, and I will declare to you the name of the Lord. Right? This is what God says. Exodus 33 verse 19. He said to him, I myself will make all what? My goodness. What did Moses ask? Show me your glory. Show me your glory. God said, I will make my goodness pass before you. What's the point? If you've seen God's goodness, you've privily, you're privy to his glory. Right? God, the question is, show me your glory. God says, hide, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And watch. What did God say to him? I will proclaim to you what? The name of of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. What grabs me in this, word, in this verse? Here's a man desiring to know the God that is sending him to deliver these Israelites from Egyptian bondage. Have to know you. Have to know what drives you. Have to know the core of your being. Have to know what, 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 what makes you God. God says, okay, no problem. By the way, no man will see me and live. I'll pass by quickly. God says, quickly, I'll show you my back parts. But God doesn't have back parts. He uses imagery. It was a quick, quick glimpse of everything he is. But God said this to him. As I pass by before you, I will declare to you the name of the? The name of the Lord. And I like this. He says, 
I will be what? Gracious to whom I will be gracious. The first thing that God shows Moses is that he's a God of grace. Please, I want you to get this. The first glimpse that Moses gets of God is a grace content within him. It's going to be the means by which Moses will be successful. The grace of God. Now, let's go and look. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious. This is where it happens. Let's go on. Now, just, just put, okay, leave this text up. Is God spirit? Yes or no? John 4.24 says God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Watch, brethren. I'm going to illustrate something before we leave. So you leave here with a clear understanding of what grace is. Because from next week onwards and from Wednesday onwards, we're going to now start how can we increase this dynamic in our lives. God, is not, God does not have human form. In fact, God does not have any visible form. You cannot quantify Him visibly. Right? He is spirit. What is spirit? Ruach. Right? Ruach. Or in the, in the Hebrew, puma. In the uh, Greek. Both words relate to the passage of air. <sighs> like, whew, the spirit comes in. Now, the day of Pentecost, sound of a mighty rushing wind, and the spirit came. So, allusions to spirit are like the wind. You know it's real, but you cannot see it, but you can understand it by looking at its effects, like the effects of the wind. My point is, God is immaterial. God does not have physical substance, because God is like wind. Think about this, brethren. Before, you see, we live in a a physical matter, a world of physical matter, of things, and we only have comprehension, mostly, of a natural world. And what we attempt to do is, we attempt to understand the eternal, unseen, spirit realm from the frame of reference we have in the natural world. And most times, it doesn't work. Before there was a material world, there was an invisible world in which God dwelt. It's called the eternal, it's called the the realm of spirit that is totally unseen. But the fact that it cannot be seen doesn't make it less substantive. Because you think, you know the earth, you know our galaxy, our solar system. You can relate to things you can see. And this is tangible, this is real for you. But if in the realm of spirit things cannot be seen, because it's spirit being without physical flesh and form, the fact that it's invisible doesn't make it less substantial. The opposite is true. That was the real world before this world came into being. The the material world was spoken into existence from that which was non-existent. Right? So that is the reality. Remember, who was it? Elisha's servant was so fearful when the Syrians surrounded them. And what, what did he pray to God? Open up his eyes and let him see. So for a brief moment, God opened up the servant's eyes into a reality of things unseen, and he saw myriads, countless angelic hosts poised against him. He said, they are far more for us 
than those physical armies that are against us. I want you to open your eyes to the awareness of the eternal. And don't just live life as a natural being, taking your cue only from things natural. If you do so, you will never understand the power of grace. Why I'm saying that is this. Is God's spirit. Come on, talk to me. Is God's spirit. Matthew 10.20 says, It is not you who speak, but it is the... What? The spirit of your father. Is the father's spirit. Yes. Next. Galatians 4.14 Because you are sons, God sent forth what? The spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the father is spirit, John, Matthew 10, 20. The Son is Spirit. Galatians 4, 14. Is the Holy Spirit Spirit? Obviously. That's why He's called the Holy Spirit. Right? But if you want a text, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 says, Now the Lord is the, the Spirit. And the context of 2 Corinthians 3 speaks about the Holy Spirit. The Lord is what? The Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Repeat after me. All of God is spirit. Say the Father is spirit. The Son is spirit. The Holy Spirit is spirit. Now spirit cannot be seen. But if you put spirit under a microscope, if it were possible, and you want to find out what are the constituent elements that make up spirit as spirit. I've said this to you before. I can put water and subject this to laboratory tests. And find out its constituent elements, H2O. And find out what makes the substance and, and generates this result called. You can put saliva under micro and examine its contents, its constituent elements. Please, what I'm about to say to you is very critical to you understand. If you take God and put him under a microscope, if it were possible, to examine what drives him, what makes him up. Now you can't see him because he's like, wind is like? Spirit, but I'm saying to you, it's so, it's so hard to speak about these things because all we know is this world. Right? I am saying to you, because it's spirit and unseen, it's not less substantive than what we experience. It has constituent elements that make up spirit as spirit. Right? The composition of this human body is dirt. Tell your neighbor you're 100% dirt. Right? So when you die, where do you go? And they say dust too, dust, ashes too, ashes, right? You, you are made from this domain, but things spiritual, have a, you have a substance to this body, but the Spirit in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has a substance, and I want to submit to you, that substance is called grace. I'll say it again. The grace of God is the most accurate descriptor of that which makes God as spirit substantive in its constituency, in what makes it up as spirit. It is grace. That's why, watch. Let me just look at a few scriptures quickly. But I don't jump ahead of myself. Just a few scriptures to, to back this up quickly. Zechariah 12 verse 10a says, I will pour out upon the house of David what? The inhabitants of Jerusalem what? A spirit of grace. How is grace going to come to you? What is God? God is spirit. He says, apart the spirit of grace. 
It's not what is it, it's who is it. So when you say, I've received this commodity called grace, you are, in your mind, you must thinking, God himself is going to be poured out to me. Don't think of it as something extraneous to God that he's going to give you. He's going to give you what, what comprises him quintessentially. It's called the grace of God. Right? Quickly. Hebrews 10 verse 29 says, Of much sore punishment suppose he shall be thought worthy, who had trodden underfoot the Son of God, who had counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and has done despite, or despised who? The Spirit of what? Notice in this context, how is the spirit characterized as what? A spirit of grace. What makes spirit spirit? Grace. Some of you are catching this. <laughs> you put your coffee. Who loves coffee like me? You put coffee and you examine what is in there. I'm saying you put God and you, you're going to examine what makes him God. He is not God if he doesn't have grace. Grace is not just something he has. Grace defines him quintessentially, constituently, as everything that he is. Right? Next. Philippians 1.25 The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says the grace of this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. 2 Timothy 4.22 The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit, Grace be with you. Hear me, brethren. Come on, talk to me. This is a mature congregation, so I can speak in, this, in these terms. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Is God spirit? Yes or no? Do you have a spirit? Yes or no? Your body, soul, and? Where did your spirit come from? Talk to me. Your spirit came from God himself. God took out of his person as spirit and gave you part of what he is. So then, every bit of communication, every bit of exchange that's going to happen from God in the heavens to you, who are body, soul, and spirit, is only going to happen from His spirit to your spirit. The, what the, the recipient of anything from God must have a platform within Him compatible with the very nature of the one who releases the thing. So if he is spirit releasing something, I can't receive it primarily on my soul or my body. I must receive it on the platform of my spirit. That's why deep cries unto deep. Spirit to spirit to spirit. So listen carefully. Here's a clue. Both to Philemon and to his favorite son, Timothy. Paul gives us a clue as to the destination of grace. Where is grace received? Come on, talk to me. It says grace is received in your... He's deliberate. He says grace be not with your soul, not with your body. Grace be with your spirit. So then, I, you know, I wish I had more time, but please come back on Wednesday so we can further explain these things. I want to encourage you. It's time for our spirits to be more graceful or filled than ever before. If it is true, listen carefully, follow my reasoning. If it is true that what makes up spirit is a constituent element called grace, and if I have that as an initial deposit 
in my spirit as from God himself. What then I need to mature in my spirit? Because in God's economy, your spirit leads your soul to direct your body in obedience. So you're going to need strong headquarters. Your spirit is like headquarters in your system. So issues and commands are, are given from. You're going to be the recipient of grace in your, in your spirit. Paul, please, brethren, hear this. He's very deliberate. Grace be with your spirit. Grace be with your spirit. My spirit, which is from God himself, is going to be comprised of the same material that comprises God as spirit, and I've got to receive it on the platform of my spirit. Now, here's where we really want to get to. You know, the, you can say all of these things, but to see it demonstrated, to see it in the life, to see an example of it, it's good, eh? So Jesus says, or it says of Jesus, John 1.14, the word became flesh and did what? And dwelt among us. So we saw his glory. By the way, I'll talk more about this in a later session. This phrase, glory, doxa, indicates the reputation of God, the nature of God, that which is clearly becomes visible. So he says, we saw his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Come on, talk to me. What is glory full of? Grace. So what are the components of glory? Of, of, of glory, grace and, and truth, right? So Jesus was, I like this phrase, full of grace. Ask your neighbor, what are you full of? Full of grace. You know, this must become our reality. So if you, John 16 says, watch. This is how I know that grace is the constituent element of everything spirit. This, verse 16 says, for from his what? From his fullness, we have all received what? Grace upon grace. So, you know, if this, if this were full with water, and I, I spill it out, of its fullness, it's going to be spilled out. When it's spilled out, you will know what's inside of it. Not so? So, if Jesus is full of something, and the scripture says, of that fullness we receive something, if you take the Lord Jesus and you tip him over, what spills out of him? Grace upon grace. You know, this will change radically alter your prayer. You wake up at five in the morning, wherever you pray, late at night, and you lift your hands, and you, you use terms like, Heavenly Father, the God of all grace. Heavenly Father, the God of manifold grace. You're defining everything He is. And He wants to tip Himself over to fill you. Of His fullness, you must receive what? Grace. And you know, it's never ending. It's not like you ever get full where there's no space for more grace. You'll always need more from now until, I believe, even it says, in the ages to come. Even in the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ and beyond that, I, will t I believe it will take literally all of our, uh, uh, more than a lifetime, more than an eternity of engagement with Christ to be recipients of the fullness of His grace. Do this grace upon grace. Right? This is grace upon grace. So whatever grace you have, you need more grace to come upon that. And it's grace for grace, so grace upon grace. Who's ready for more grace? 
but stand with me. Stand with me. I'm excited about the series because I know it's going to increase our grace allocation. I'm making a bold uh, declaration to my Father in the heavens. It is going to be my prayer almost daily. Pastor Thamo said to us this year, pray for three things. He gave this to us at the start of the year. Pray for an excellent spirit, like Daniel had. Pray for a spirit of excellence. Secondly, pray for wisdom every day. Just be wise. Pray for wisdom every day. And thirdly, he says, pray for more grace. Pray for more grace. Amen. How many people want the edge? Come on, let me see your hands. You want the edge in life? You say, God, I want the edge in life. And I know it's going to be the component called grace that defines you as spirit. And it's going to characterize my spirit. That component you gave me as part of yourself. I need more and more of the grace of God within my life. Right? The pursuit is going to be for the next few weeks a pursuit after grace. A cry after grace. God, we need to be more grace-rich, grace-dominant. You see, if it's not, Bible says if it's by works, it's not by grace. The things you can do in the flesh, then, then grace is rendered inactive. But we want to tap into the fullness of the grace of God. You know, by the way, I've seen grace enacted in my life personally, where based on the, what we are doing now and the number of varied things we are doing, it would be humanly impossible to do, but for the grace of God. I believe this. Listen carefully. This is what I really believe. Grace will even animate your human body or, or empower your flesh, even take you be, do beyond things, a fatigue level that would, rendered, would have rendered you impotent, take you beyond it to accomplish certain things in God. Okay? I believe the maturation of your spirit in grace is going to be the thing that will break immortality eventually. So when the spirit becomes so saturated, the soul got no alternative but to comply, and the body, even atomically, its makeup will have to comply with what's happening in the spirit. Where this this death-prone dynamic called the flesh, subject to illness and decay, will now start to, to mutate if you would, transform anatomically from mortality to immortality to respond to what's happening within the fabric of spirits. But that's for another time. That's a forthcoming attraction for the ages to come. That's going to happen, by the way, brethren. Some of you look at me, what is this? It's going to happen. The Bible speaks clearly about that transformation. But it's first going to happen in our spirits. Hallelujah. A mature spirit. Hallelujah. Come, let's lift our hands before the Lord. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Father, we lift up our hearts to you. I lift up our, we lift up our voice. Let's just begin just to call upon the Lord in your own way. Just, just, you just respond to him say, God, I need more of your grace. We need, as a married couple, more of your grace. Our family needs to be more grace-characterized than ever before. Our church, my business, uh, my circle of friendships need the grace of God more profoundly expressed. You are spirit, Father, but let everything that you are as spirit now start to characterize us in the entirety of our being. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and from God the Father and the sevenfold spirits of God 
be your portion, church. May grace increase. Say what Peter said to his congregation. Multiplied grace be unto you. Multiplied grace. Manifold grace. Be your portion. I confer by my declaration upon you this morning. Receive it as I declare it. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the sevenfold spirits of the living God be your portion today. May it enrich you in every way. May the grace you receive bring you special standing. May the grace you receive bring you special favor. With multiple people, but particularly with God Himself. May Son of God, may you enjoy a new standing before your Heavenly Father today. I, I speak an open door over our lives. I speak an assertion and an affirmation of the favor of God in our experience. I assert that grace will be on us and that we will grow from grace to grace, grace upon grace. For of your fullness, Lord Jesus, we have received it and we thank you in your name. Amen.